Special treat for you all on the, on the Locked On Steelers podcast today. We've got Joe Marino from NF, for Locked On's NFL scouting and the draft dudes. They gave their own assessment of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to take him to task, give it, pick his brain on how someone from the outside is looking at the Steelers on the inside. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Steelers, your daily Pittsburgh Steelers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, bringing you your daily dose of all things on the Pittsburgh Steelers. As always, you can find the show in your favorite podcasting app and on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoyed on YouTube. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all of your daily Monday through Friday episodes as well as our bonus content. We thank you for making us your first listen every day because we're your team every day. And we're joined today by, as I said before, Joe Marino. He hosts uh, Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes with Kyle Krabs. You can get that all throughout the week. He also hosts Locked On bills so we've done several episodes over the past several years and this is weird because now we're not going to have a crossover it's the first time i think since like 2017 these two teams haven't played but i'm so happy to have joe back on the show because that man knows his football hey chris maybe we'll get to do one in january let's sign up for that (laughs) let's do that I like you. I like the way this man thinks. That's why I'm having him on the show. But if you missed it earlier this week, uh, Joe and Kyle, hosts host of, of Locked On NFL Scouting, scouted the Steelers and gave their perspectives on several aspects of it. I'm going to walk through some some of the bigger points that they hit on, and we're going to start with the first round pick that they made in Broderick Jones and how he's going to impact the offensive line. Joe. Quick analysis, just your taking from of Broderick Jones before the draft. Where did you have him pegged in the pecking order of offensive linemen in this in this year's class? And did the Steelers get the right guy you thought for their need at left tackle? Well, Chris, I thought Broderick Jones was the best offensive line prospect in the class. And so if that tells you anything, getting him in the middle of the teens, I think was really outstanding. I had him as a top 10 player in this class. I thought it's great value, obviously a position of need. And I just love the player, man. I, I remember going into last season, you know, I, I watch a lot of players in the summer. That way I can have a foundational layer of understanding of where these guys are at. And then from there, you could really measure their growth in season. And Broderick Jones had only started like four games that prior year for Georgia, but he was a dude, man. Like you could see him. He was, he was getting on top of guys. He's moving bodies, really athletic and was dominant. And I'm like, okay, well, if he does that, what I saw in four games across an entire season, like we're, we're not messing around here. This, this is a, a premier offensive line prospect. And then he did exactly what I hoped he would do. And so uh, at Georgia, man, you see the range, the athleticism, uh, a guy that can really get out in space and win. He's got all the foot quickness necessary to mirror. He's got length. He's got power. He likes, he likes to get after people. You love the temperament. I just don't know what there's not to like about him. He's a young player. I think his ceiling's incredibly high. My favorite offensive lineman in the class and, Love what he means for this Steelers group now where he can come in and compete potentially for that left tackle job that's been manned by Dan Moore, who I think's done a pretty good job. But um, I think now being able to put him into the lineup and now Dan Moore is a potential swing tackle, a guy right. that can provide depth. Same thing with uh, Isaac Siamalu coming over. You get Kevin Dotson now as a backup, and I think that's mm-hmm. more of a, a better spot for him, and it really strengthens the depth of the unit. But uh, Broderick Jones, man, my favorite offensive lineman of the class, one of my favorite picks of the first round. And I think he's going to be one of those dudes that's like a pillar of this offense for a long, long time. 
you and I were on the same page on Broderick Jones. I'm going to bring up my big board real quick. I had him there as my number one offensive lineman. I had him as my eighth overall prospect. Um, and, and this wasn't to slouch Paris Johnson Jr. or any of the other guys, but I'm right. I was right with you. I just I felt that Broderick Jones with his athleticism, with his size, it all matched really well with what I would want in an, in an NFL offensive tackle, especially a left tackle. So when I saw Paris Johnson go off the board at six of the Cardinals. I was like, "Uh oh, this might yep. not be able to happen." And then you see, but then you saw Darnell Wright go at ten. I was like, "Okay, maybe it might happen there." But the move I had pegged as soon as that that Jets that Jets Packers trade when the the Jets moved down to fifteen. At first, I thought the Steelers were going to have to get above twelve where the where, where the Jets were going to be without that trade, and that meant trading with the Houston Texans. That also probably meant a more expensive trade. But when they only had to move up to the to the Patriots and the fact that the Patriots are division rivals with the with the Jets, it was the perfect chemistry to make that move hit here. But let's talk more about specifically this offensive line and what you think it could be this year. Last year, the Steelers, they kind of coalesced in the second half. After the Bills completely dusted the Steelers, uh, along with the Eagles in the middle part of the season, they started to pick up. They were protecting Kenny Pickett more. He turned down he, – his turnovers went down. But they also started to run the ball more. You saw what they were able to do to teams like the Panthers and the Raiders and the Ravens in the final weeks of the season, and they started to find their synergy. Now you get guys like Mason Cole – James Daniels, probably Chakuma Core for, you know, not blow, you know, blow them up guys, but guys who can do their jobs in solid ways and kind of hold it down. And you bring in Sumalo, who was an who was a really good player for the Eagles last year, and you have a rookie in Broderick Jones. Is this the kind the kind of offensive line that you think can mature into one of the better units in the NFL? Or do you think that this is still they still have some more draft picks to make in the near future? I think it's got to come together, Chris, but when you look across this unit, I think you can get really excited about the potential of how it can come together. And, you know, I, I think it really does start with Broderick Jones, where I think his athleticism is going to be such a, an asset to this unit, um, a guy that can really get out in space. And we know that Matt Canada is going to have a lot of uh, misdirection. There's going to be a lot of quick throws and having a guy like Broderick Jones that can get out into the boundary and, and block defensive backs on the move will be a major asset for some of those running catch opportunities and getting the screen game going like we know that they're going to want to have. Um, and so, you know, I think that that athleticism is a big time upgrade. Um, of course, mirroring pass rushers as well, but then also Siamalu can really create displacement in the run game, right? A, a physical guy that can really move bodies. And I think that left side is is really upgraded compared to, Dan Moore and I guess Kevin Dotson as your as your mm -hmm. previous left side. And so you look at that and you say this is upgraded. And and now like, you know, Mason Cole and James Daniels, if I'm not mistaken, this is that last year was their first year on the team, right? So now yes. second season together, right? That's there's a more chemistry, it's time on task, it's being familiar more familiar with the scheme and how they want things done. I mean, those players will probably take a step here now that not only the left side's a little bit better, but they've played together for some time now. And so I think you have a situation here where I don't know that I look at this and say, hey, this is going to be one of the best offensive lines in the game. I think it's a better offensive line and certainly one that can be at least above average, in my opinion. I, I agree with that sentiment there because I still think that even if Broderick Jones is everything that you hope he is and he blows it up his, his rookie year, 
I still think that there's a lot of the other guys are adequate pieces and something that I think the Steelers did really well in the 2010s. They found star talent at, at on the offensive line, especially in Pouncey and DeCastro, and that helped balance out the rest of the line. I think Broderick Jones can become that kind of star talent in the NFL, but I also think that he's going to need help in the long run, and that's why I think you're still going to see the Steelers drafting on the offensive line in the coming years a little bit as they continue to develop that group. But my last thing here on Broderick Jones before we move to more parts of the offense, one of the valid criticisms that I thought was very real about Broderick Jones was how sometimes in pass protections he would break down. He would be a little too aggressive. His hands would punch a little wide or he misses target or you just see some of the some of the other mis- like a mis- just technical mistakes here and there. But they were things that when I looked at them, I'm like, these are all very coachable, fixable yeah. things. And everything that we heard from Kirby Smart to all his position coaches and everyone at Georgia was that this guy's extremely coachable. He gets sharper in his game. To me, those were things that that's a fine thing that you think that you can reform there. But the Steelers also, in their first four weeks of the season, they got Nick Bosa coming up in week one against the Niners. Miles Garrett coming up with the Browns in week two. Max Crosby coming up with the Raiders in week three. And then potentially Will Anderson in week four with the Texans. Do you think that this is going to be a hindrance to maybe Broderick Jones not starting the season? The Steelers should kind of hold him back? Or do you see him as a prospect that, no, he needs to be out there day one and he can handle himself against some of these premier guys? Well, I mean, they're the Steelers are going to be better equipped to answer that question. They're going to have that time with him in the coming right. months to to make that determination. And obviously, you're gonna you're gonna learn here in these coming weeks about his capacity to do that. And Chris, how about going up against Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt in practice to give you an idea if he yes. can go up against those players? And so they'll get the information necessary to to make that call. But I, I think you really hit it on the head, and it's like that stuff's all teachable. This guy has all the unteachable things. And the things that you get nervous about are things that he can correct. And, and still a guy that that hasn't played that much. What is he? Does he have 20 starts to, to his career? You know, no. there's not a, there's not a lot of uh, untraining you have to do. Right. The mem- muscle memory hasn't fully developed to this point. And so um, I, I think that his physical ability uh, combined with what you mentioned there with even the stuff that I've heard about him is is all high character football character. It's important mm-hmm. to him. He's going to do everything he can to be the best player he can be. I got a lot of confidence in him being able to uh, kind of iron some of that stuff out. Absolutely. We'll talk, get more of Joe's perspective on the Steelers and some back and forth that we have about this, especially about the offense in the next segment and what he thinks about Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, and some of the other stars on the offense. But before we do any of that, I want to talk to you guys about our great sponsors at Built Bar who sponsor this episode. If you're looking for a delicious treat and you don't want all the fat and the, and the calories, this is where Built Bar comes in because they're the best protein bar in America. Right now, you need to go and try Built Bars. They have so many different flavors, whether it's churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, coconut almond, and all these different flavors come covered in 100% real chocolate. You put it all together and you have a really tasty treat. And somehow all these Built Bars, they come in packing with just 130 calories, just four grams of sugar, but somehow fit 17 grams of protein. So you're getting all the gains and none of the waste and a great tasting snack. And you don't need to wait around for a box to get delivered to your door. You can still go to Built.com and have one delivered to your door if you want. But now you can go to Walmart and Sam's Club and pick up Built Bars in your local neighborhood. That's right. Head to your local, local Walmart today. You walk to the farm section you can pick up yourself a box of built bars four bar boxes with flavors like cookies and cream double chocolate and coconut puffs or you can go to sam's club and pick up 13 bar boxes with hit flavors like brownie batter and churro trust me when you try built bar you'll be thanking me later because built bar is the best protein bar in america
Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm your host, Chris Carter, here with Joe Marino, host of Locked On Bills, also host of Locked On NFL Scouting and the Draft News with Kyle Krabs. Again, they did their recent episode on the Pittsburgh Steelers, so here I am talking with Joe just about a few things here with the Steelers offense. Now, Joe, you talked about Kenny Pickett. You guys talked about Kenny Pickett for a bit. Definitely came out the gate struggling, had two, three interception games to start the season, but then only threw two interceptions in the back half of the season was the the growth or at least the, the improvement in the, the consistency and avoiding the mistakes was that enough for you to sign on to Kenny Pickett maybe developing into a franchise quarterback or if it's not what do you need to see out of him this year to prove to you like okay this guy was a really good first round pick for the Steelers I think it's so far so good with Kenny Pickett to be honest with you I think if anything he inspired me to really believe that Pittsburgh has their guy to to build around and move forward with. And I think the challenging part of the Kenny Pickett evaluation was always reconciling and amazing, like maybe the best season a quarterback has ever had in the history of the ACC in his last year versus a lot of tape beforehand that was just Mm kind of okay, right? And so you're like, all right, well, who's the real Kenny Pickett? And I think seeing some of those high-level moments last year for the Steelers gives me a lot of hope that, those high-level moments that I saw for the Panthers can be who he is, right? It's validating in a sense. And so I was really encouraged with how he progressed throughout the season. Like you mentioned, the turnovers, they were early on. That's fine. Sometimes it's good to fail forward, right? And I think Kenny did some of that early on. Kind of some tough environments, right? It wasn't his first game against the Jets kind of coming yeah. in in relief. That's like, it was like one of the best defense in the league. And then his first starts on the road in Buffalo. I mean, yeah. that's pretty tough, man. And, and he was able to very quickly like accelerate the in-season growth, right? We didn't have to wait years for this. We saw him get better in-season. We saw clutch moments. Uh, we saw him take command, right? There's a lot of leadership. He never looked rattled. Like even in that, that first start, like it was kind of tough sledding at times, but mm-hmm. that dude was competitive throughout. Like, I am the bills guy, right? I, I remember that very, very mm-hmm. well. And, and, and the bills won by a lot, but I came away thinking, man, Kenny Pickett's one tough dude, man. I think he's going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like you kind of came away with that right away. And so I think Kenny Pickett um, gives the Steelers a real chance here to have their guy. Obviously it's a really um, exciting time in the NFL for the, the young quarterbacks and, um, you know, you, you don't have to have the conversation yet about where he slots. He's got we got a lot to learn about Kenny Pickett, but I think I think pretty comfortably Pittsburgh should feel good about the direction of the quarterback position. Now, the other thing that you felt pretty confident to talk about on the show was your thoughts on Pat Fryermuth and yeah. what he's what he's done so far in just two years with the Steelers. And you brought up something that I think that some Steelers fans weren't so ready to admit is that. Him doing what he did with Ben Roethlisberger, with that version of Ben Roethlisberger, it just was, he just wasn't prime Ben anymore. He was old man Ben, but he still had seven touchdowns together. And especially in the red zone, they were coming up huge. It was a way to keep the Steelers in games that year. So you went from having arguably the worst version of Ben Roethlisberger in a Hall of Famer's career, and then a rookie quarterback who came in in like the first quarter of the season or so to, to develop. And the first year you had seven touchdowns, 497 yards. This past year, 732 yards, only two touchdowns, but still productive. Where do you think Pat Fryermuth's ceiling is as far as being you know a ranking among NFL tight ends when he's at, you think, at his maximums? Yeah, Pat Fryermuth was one of my biggest takeaways in studying Pittsburgh this week in, in anticipation of our, our podcast that we did on Monday. 
Uh, really impressed with the player. And, and Chris, you, you talk about the quarterbacks. I mean, go back to Penn State with Sean Clifford. I mean, when, when's this guy had <laughs> had a quarterback? <laughs> and I, I, I'm glad you brought up Ben. I don't I don't know what the 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 temperature is out there, but Ben was tough to watch his last couple of years in Pittsburgh. Like I, I mean, he just was. It, it was. I think hard. it's fair, yeah. Um, and then you go to what a few games of Trubisky into a, a rookie quarterback, right? I mean, it's it's he hasn't had a guy to like really settle in with and and be able to produce to the highest levels, but he's still produced. He's been very, very productive. And we don't typically see tight ends come into the NFL and produce right away. It's it's a very slow developing position. And I, I think it's because they're asked to learn how to play offensive line and receiver, right? That's a that's a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and traditionally a lot of what colleges ask tight ends to do doesn't really mesh well with the NFL. And there's a big curve. Hasn't happened with Pat Fryermuth. He's been able to come in despite the circumstances that we talked about and be an answer at tight end. And, you know, I think he's going to be a hundred target a year player for this offense moving forward. And he deserves it. It's not just because he was, you know, a, a second round pick and, and all that, like he deserves that type of market share. And so um, we, we graded him as a quality starter and, and that's, that's not an easy bucket to get into. That's part of what mm-hmm. we do with this process is we categorize everyone on the roster and for a second year player to be a quality starter, that says a lot about the way we view him. I think he's a do everything tight end. Uh, really impressed with you know the the body control, the hands, the the ball skills, you know even some run after catch stuff. He, one of my my most positive takeaways in studying Pittsburgh was Pat Fryermuth, and I think Pittsburgh should feel really comfortable about having a, a guy that I think could be one of the best ten players at his position in the league for a long, long time. With the drafting of Darnell Washington, do you see that as a potential deadly one-two tight end punch, or do you think that this is going to be more so? Darnell Washington is just going to be the blocker. Pat Frymuth is going to be the receiver. Or do you see these guys as being a dual threat where they can run a lot more 12 personnel? Yeah, I think the presence of Darnell Washington unlocks even more of Pat Frymuth, right? I think mm-hmm. you can uh, you can play 12 personnel, or, or as we're calling it in Buffalo Bills world now, that Dalton Kincaid exists with Dawson Knox, <laughs> 11 and a half personnel, right? And, and you can really dictate terms, man. Like, that's tough to deal with for defenses, whether – you know, you're either going to be too small or you're going to be too slow, right? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like you're just – it's putting defenses in conflict because with Darnell Washington, I mean, you better have a transformer on your defense to be able to match <laughs> up with that guy. He's insane. I mean, yeah. that that's a player that, like, honestly, I don't know why he fell to where he fell, but he's a player I would have taken easily in the top 40. There's no question about it. And, like, he's an NFL ready-made blocker right now, but he's really – a talented pass catcher as well with his ability to find zones, sit in there, make himself available, obviously unbelievable catch radius. And so when you can put those two guys on the field, that's a lot to to challenge a defense with, especially with Pat Fryermuth and his versatility and a guy that I think can easily play in the slot and kind of flexed out quite a bit. So you have your Y tight end and Darnell Washington, you have your F and Pat Fryermuth. And as I think the NFL is going to kind of lean more into 12 personnel, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of that um, at least from a, a good intentions plan, right? You're seeing a lot of teams wanting to lean into that. And Pittsburgh is, is really well positioned with these two young tight ends. And, you know, there's a really nice um, economic strategy that, that comes to this, right? It's, it's expensive mm-hmm. to pay receivers. Like the best ones get paid now North of $30 million a season. You look at Darren Waller, Darren Waller's the highest paid tight end in the NFL on an average annual uh, salary basis at $17 million. Well, that would make him like the 19th highest paid wide receiver. I mean, Travis Kelsey's like the 24th highest paid wide receiver. And wow. so if you can get tight ends to be focal points for your offense, it's cheaper and allows you to have better players in your roster. So whether it's the conflict that you can put a defense in or the economics in terms of building 
a roster, there's a lot to like about the idea of leaning into more 12 personnel. No, you're ve- I think that's a very interesting thing to bring up here because if you look at if, if you if you look at the, that scale that you brought up with t- with tight ends, the Steelers' highest paid offensive player cap number wise this year is going to be Deontay Johnson, their number one receiver, who I do think's good. Uh, you know, he's not top tier receiver receiver guy, but he's still making sixteen point three million dollars against the cap th- this year. And the average per year, like you said, the only person above him would be Darren Waller, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, Mark, and yeah. they're they're all below that, and it's mm-hmm. just like. That's a that's a really interesting point there. And unless you get a superstar talent, the Steelers just had nine years of Antonio Brown. You don't get that all the time. But right. if you so if you're finding good receivers and you're finding you know pay pay them with what you need to keep drafting at wide receiver and keep building there. But tight end may be the route to pay things. My last thing here on the offense before we transition to, to defense, the Steelers have kind of made it clear they want to beat you up. This wants they want to they you know Mike Tomlin's told players that like he wants goons right now for what they're what they're building especially on 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 both sides of the line of scrimmage. This idea of maybe running the football a bit more, not like 70-30 or anything like that, but maybe more like 60-40 in favor of passing with just the run game balancing things more and Najee Harris getting getting him more involved in them using more play action for Kenny Pickett to get some more open looks. Is this kind of a smart move with today's NFL because some teams are running the ball more or is this do you think this is going to backfire with the fact that just the the NFL's rules have just made passing the priority more so in today's football I think it's probably a lot of what you just mentioned but also there's some great quarterbacks in the AFC man Pat Mm -hmm. Mahomes Joe Burrow you guys know about him in the north and Josh Allen's Mm -hmm. there Justin Herbert Lamar Jackson uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, he'll probably be closer to what we know him being this this coming season. There's Trevor Lawrence. Uh, there's a lot of young players that just got drafted very high, right? There's there's some quarterback talent. And I think one of the things that you want to do as a football team when you're going up against these top quarterbacks all the time is being able to control things. And I think uh, the best way to keep Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow and all these quarterbacks off the field is to be able to, to, to control the, the game. And that's by running the football and keeping the chains moving. And I think having that type of approach makes sense if you don't have that type of quarterback. And maybe Kenny Pickett will get there. He's not there yet. But I think maybe at this point in his career and in in the life cycle of Pittsburgh, it's probably best to lean into that to maximize your opportunity to to continue winning and and compete, right? And and I think that's probably a pretty smart way to look at things. And, you know, they've got the foundation to do it. Obviously, big investment in Najee Harris is a first-round pick. You got some physical – offensive lineman and and that you know Darnell Washington now is going to be a big time asset in the blocking game and so I, I think that's probably smart to kind of maximize your opportunity to be the best football team that you can be based on what you have I, I, I agree with you that's where I think that they're trying to go to and I think that's a smart move on the part of Mike Tom and Omar Khan in that front office that while you're developing a young quarterback you don't need him to try to match Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow play your own style and yeah. invest in a way that could counter those other styles that are that are doing well in the NFL right now. I want to switch to defense and get Joe's thoughts here on what the Steelers are doing on defense and on the Quan Alexander situation, seeing that he left without signing a contract. And now the question still exists at linebacker. All that and more here on the Locked On Steelers podcast with Chris Carter and Joe Marino with the guest today. We'll be right back.
Back here on the Locked On Steelers podcast, I'm your host, Chris Carter, here today with Joe Marino of Locked On NFL Scouting, the draft news with Kyle Krabs, as well as Locked On Bills. So, Joe, let's talk defense. Before we dive into the star power of the defense and your thoughts on Joey Porter Jr., there was the report from Adam Schefter that Quan Alexander, linebacker most recently with the Jets, came in, was coming into Pittsburgh Monday night to talk to talk with them about free agency, but it's now been reported. He left he left Pittsburgh without signing any, any contract, which probably means he's not coming to Pittsburgh. So their linebacker situation is still just a Landon Roberts, Cole Holcomb, and a, seven, a second year seventh round draft pick in Mark Robinson, along with guys like Tanner Muse and other guys have kind of just thrown together as far as their, their inside linebacker looks. That was something that you guys harped on on your on your preview of the Steelers and it, I agree it could be the biggest weak weak spot of the team right now whereas Roberts and Cole Holcomb I think are decent run stuffers they're not going to help you much in pass coverage that's uh, that's going to be a liability that was something that chewed them up when Ryan Chazier got hurt in 2017 and it took them years until they found Devin Bush as a rookie who was solid but then of course got his knee injured and then he wasn't anything what they were hoping he would be as a first round draft pick so now I find this as a potential you know, thing that, that teams could needle at for the Steelers defense. But with that, what do you think the Steelers need to do to address that? Or do you think the Steelers have enough talent elsewhere on defense to kind of mitigate that as a weak spot in their defense? Yeah, I come away from this study pretty concerned about linebackers and not because I watched Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts play linebacker for the Steelers last year. I watched Devin Bush and Miles Jack mm-hmm. and on the podcast. I think Kyle said it was like watching the dogs chase cars. I mean, that, that's what yeah. it was. These guys couldn't get off blocks. They struggled, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a, an occasional moment where, you know, they were freed up, could take an angle, make a tackle on the perimeter and you, you look, they look good. But on a snap to snap basis, it was it was tough to watch. And they transitioned from that to a situation that I don't I don't think is better. I, I'm not sure they've improved this at all with the Landon Roberts and Cole Holcomb and you know Landon Roberts. If you want a plug, if you want that Brandon Spikes type player to just shoot downhill, take on a fullback and plug gaps, okay, like he can do that. But there's no lateral mobility, there's no coverage instincts, and, and Cole Holcomb is a kind of a see ball, get ball, chase, pursuit style type player. And so I, I don't know that these inst- instincts are exciting for me. I don't like them in coverage, right? And so. That, that gives me some concern about this, this unit. Now, they've got some great talent throughout the unit, especially with Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. Those players are easy to identify as, as franchise cornerstones and, and you know top-tier NFL players. Um, but what I think they're going to have to do is lean into their scheme a little bit here to make up for some of this. And I, I look at you know guys like Minka Fitzpatrick and, and being able to use his versatility as a guy that can play uh, maybe, you know, if you're going to play some more cover three, he's kind of your your middle of the field defender. You could free him up a little bit as well to play lower alignments, and, and you're going to need that. And so um, they're going to have to compensate here, Chris. Um, and I think leaning into more versatility with their defensive backfield is going to probably be the best way to go. Um, but, um, you know, of course, the rush is going to be important here, too, with with. You know, the, the concern is is the pass coverage and, and what type of liability those players could represent. And if you get Highsmith and Hayward and, and Watt and, and, you know, even Larry Unganjobi, who's a good interior rusher, mm-hmm. Keanu Benton, who I love, you know, get these guys going with the rush. And, and that's going to be really critical to kind of hide this. But I, I, I'm, I'm afraid this is going to be something that we're going to talk about all season long with Pittsburgh. And, you know, it's um, I, I don't I don't know where the reinforcements are coming, uh, but I'd be looking for them if I were the Steelers. 
I think they should be looking for him. I think that's why they were trying to bring in Quan Alexander. It's something that I've been saying could be a problem. I do think it's something they could maybe mitigate and make not as big of a problem. If the if the coverage can keep the lid on the defense, last year they gave up some big plays, especially early in the season. But in the second half of the season, they got better at that. They were able to keep, keep plays in front of them and force teams, hey, if you're going to beat us, you're going to be working your way down the field. It's going to take you time to get there in, in a lot of circumstances. I want to talk to you, though, about Joey Porter Jr., he was a guy that in our locked on mock draft, I picked at 17th overall without trading up because of how the board fell and all the offensive tackles that I thought were worthy of that pick were gone. And Joey Porter Jr. was sitting right there. And lo and behold, the Steelers got him at 32 while still getting that offensive tackle. Where do you see Joey Porter Jr. as a starting corner in the NFL? Is he a starter now or is he get, is he a guy that when you look at his tape, I, I agree that with, with something that you guys said, talking about his hips and how he turns. He can get beaten with, with good route runners. But with his size, is he a guy that you think you could plug and play right now? Or is he more of a developmental player that's going to have some work to do? I think he's got a chance to play right now. And if you're Pittsburgh, I think you feel good about having nice hedges with Levi Wallace and Akello Witherspoon, guys that um, has played a lot of football in the NFL. And you you can feel like you can get by with them uh, until Joey Porter is, is ready. But I think the ceiling with Porter is what gets you excited, right? Where physically he's really talented in terms of size and athleticism. The ball skills are really, really good. And I think as this defense probably wants to play a lot of zone coverage, um, his length, his ability to play the ball in the air, uh, coupled with the Pat Pete, coupled with the Minka Fitzpatrick, you've got some guys here that are ball hawks on the back end. And so if your rush can be effective and you have those guys breaking on footballs kind of you know, with their eyes in the backfield playing a lot of zone. I think this is a really nice vision for how it can come together. But, you know, we need to see him do it, right? I mean, he's a rookie. He had um, – there's some questions about Joey Porter, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people expected him to be a first-round pick. But as I kind of talked to people, I, I was not surprised to see him slide a little bit. And it's – you know, it, I think if there's any place it's going to unlock everything that he can be, it's 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 where he's at in, in Pittsburgh. But, you know, he's got some questions himself to answer. But – I think the, the ceiling's really, really high. I think um, he helps with, with them maybe wanting to um, be versatile with their coverage looks. Like we talk about the makeup of this unit being uh, zone heavy, but if you wanted to kind of man it up with him and then play zone the rest of the way and, and utilize what he can give you in some of those press opportunities against a guy like a Jamar Chase, right? You're going to have to deal with all mm-hmm. the time. I feel like he's a nice matchup for that, or even T. Higgins with Cincinnati. Um, you can get some, you can get creative with, with that and maybe improve your, your spacing on defense, but, um, I'm excited for him. I'm glad he's in Pittsburgh. Uh, if they picked him at 17, we wouldn't have been surprised. And I think it's, you might be able to say that Pittsburgh went into that draft with wanting either Broderick Jones or Joey Porter in the first round. And then somehow they got both right. So you, you have yeah. to love that. I, I think that's why a lot of Steelers fans are excited because we talked about the prospect of getting an either or, and they got both. But like you said, we still got to see how this, how they both fit into both sides of the ball and how it puts all together. But last thing here, Joe, where's your projected finish for the Steelers in the mm. AFC? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here mm. uh, for a quick out. Man, the AFC's tough, Chris. I mean, I we know that their their floor is going to be nine wins, right? That Mike Tomlin rolls out of bed and gets that. So <laughs> I th- I think he's gonna they're gonna be you know at least a nine win team. But with how strong this conference is, you know, like I think there's been years where you say, okay, ten wins you get you in. Man, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you might have to get to eleven this year. Is Pittsburgh going to be able to do it? Right? I mean, are they the third best team in the North? Probably. I mean, and if it comes together in Cleveland, you get nervous about that. Um, so I, I think they're a good football team. I think they're a winning football team. 
Uh, but there's a lot that has to come together here. Um, and I think with the strength of the AFC collectively, it's going to, it's going to make them tough, right? I think they're going to be competing for a wild card spot. And there's a lot of teams that are right there in that kind of that tier that I would, I would lump them with. So they can do it. I, I think they can win 10, 11 games. If everything comes together, I think their floors, nine wins, but is that enough? Right. I think the the rest of the conference is, is just really, really good. He's Joe Marino. You can find him on Locked On Bills and NFL, Locked On NFL Scouting. Also at the Joe Marino uh, on Twitter. Thank you so much, Joe, for checking us out here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Thank you all for checking out this show. Remember, we are Monday through Friday, just like all of Joe's shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Monday through Friday, your favorite podcasting app and on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to this YouTube channel to get all your daily Monday through Friday episodes as well as all of our bonus content. We're back Thursday with more here on your Pittsburgh Steelers right here on the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. We'll see you then.